Hey, Fedheads. Welcome back to another episode of Sharing Our Pairings. Uh, I'm your host, Trip. We're live on Facebook. Um, then, of course, broadcast around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network, uh, available on YouTube, and, of course, on your favorite podcast catcher, whatever that may be. I'm your host, Trip. Um, and I feel like I, I just noticed in the past couple weeks that I never say that we're that we are part of Cigar Federation during the opening. Um, but you are listening or watching Cigar Federation, in case you're unaware. Um, I'm here with my co-host, Dennis. Dennis, how you doing? What's up, brother? Awesome, man. Doing well. Oh, man. So uh, you'll notice it. You, I'm sure you noticed already, if you're watching from home, um, our Facebook widget was working. And as soon as we went live, it, it switched back to connecting to Facebook live posts. So maybe it needs to have a comment there before it works. Well... People have commented and it's not showing up. Um, so I'm not sure what that's about, but I'm going to nuke that thing in a couple minutes. So sorry. Um, but we'll still be reading your comments. We'll still be uh, talking to you guys, getting you engaged. Uh, we like that. It's fun. It's fun for everybody. Uh, so we're here tonight getting our crux on, as Ed Ryan says uh, in the comments, which, of course, that's their uh, that's kind of their catchphrase. Get your crux on or go crux yourself. So we're smoking the crux guild. That thing will focus, and that is a. I think they nailed the band on this one. I'm a. Big it's fan very cool looking. I'm a big fan of all their bands, um, but I think this one, like, they nailed that kind of like I don't know, just nice, um, kind of almost gothic look. It's super clean, and, it's, and then you have that on the uh, on the back end, which is very cool. It's a really nice, clean looking band. Yeah. Um, so let me pull up the specs on the cigar. I got to pull my notes up here. Um, so we're both smoking the, I think it's the Toro, I believe it's a six by 50 about, um, which I would call the Toro. Uh, let me check. Yeah. So it's a six by 50. The MSRP on these bad boys is only eight ninety nine. Um, we both got these. I have to plug them, um, because of where we got it. I'm sorry. Uh, we both got these from the cigar of the month from, uh, cigar federation. So, if you're not a member of the Cigar Federation Cigar of the Month, uh, I mean, that's fine. But you're missing out on some pretty good cigars every month for a, a reasonable price. Uh, this one is – let me find it here. There we go. Uh, these are made – all of Crux's cigars are made by Placencia uh, at the Placencia factory. Uh, this one is an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper with Nicaraguan binder and filler. and I think that's all I have to say about it. Uh, I was going to go into the story, but I, I don't know the story of this cigar. I don't know if there is like a, a story behind it. So um, what are your thoughts on the cigar so far? I know you're digging it. We were talking about that. It is, man, it is awesome. And I'm getting so many floral notes just off of the first couple of minutes of smoking this. Mm -hmm. It feels good in the hand too. And this is kind of one of my favorite sizes. And, uh, you know, the six by 50 for me is almost any cigar I pick up. I always kind of enjoy a little bit more. Um, and it's really well, really well done, really well made. Um, just super smooth, solid construction on it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it's hard to explain. It's usually when you think of a full-bodied cigar, I would call this full or medium full. Um, and usually when you think of that range, you think of spicy, and this doesn't have a ton of spice in it. No, not It's a, got not, more not like much. floral, savory, meaty, kind of earthy flavors. Um, with some like some creaminess, maybe. Yeah, there's definitely I, I get some creaminess. There's a little bit of spice on the retro hail, but not a whole lot. 
It doesn't compare to a lot of other cigars. Um, and if if you can't tell by my voice, I'm still a little under the weather. I don't know if it comes through in my voice or not. Um, I'm still recovering from that cold I had last week, but I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I think I've just got a, you know, my palate's a little, just a little bit off by like maybe 10% or so. Man, now's the season. Everybody's getting sick. It's crazy. Dude, it's crazy. Um, my my biggest worry is being sick going to the DR. Like, I always get in a panic <laughs> right before I go on vacation because I'm worried I'm going to get sick and be sick yeah. on vacation. But we'll talk about that in, in a little bit, um, about the DR a little more. I think we're going to talk about that at the end of the show, about what we're kind of expecting and, um, and you know, just why we're not going to be around next week. Let's see. I'm checking to see if we have any comments or anything. Um, I'm also trying to get a better read on the cigar. It's interesting that it's it's got more flavor on the retrohale, I think, than it does on the palate. Oh, yeah. It pops on the retrohale. I've, I've been getting some leather notes out of the retrohale as well. Yeah, leather. That's a that's a good word for it. It's got some definite leather leatheriness. Um, I'm not going into my pairing yet because I'm just trying to get ready with, like, nailing down the cigar. I get a little bit of like lemon zest, kind of a little, uh, I don't know, a little pop of lemon zest, kind of. I hate the words I use to describe smoking cigars, but it's they're <laughs> the only words I have, guys. <laughs> um, I'm going to get it right into my first pairing here, because I think this pairing is going to go really well with this. So I'm smoking a uh, classic when it comes to the show, the Yamazaki 12. If, come on, focus, buddy. Focus up. There we go. Liquid gold. Yeah. Um, which I was thinking about, I think this might be the most expensive bottle that has a screw top. There aren't a lot of screw tops around. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. It, it must be. But like, you don't see many the, of those. I don't know. The Yamazaki 18 and 25 may or may not have screw tops. I've never had them. Um, but it's, it's just strange to me that a bottle that's, pr- I mean, I would call it the expensive side. Um, it's, you're kind of getting into uh, luxury whiskey. At like the the seventy eighty dollar price point, which is where this this one lives. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Yamazaki, if you haven't listened to the show before, we've talked about it several times. Especially Surgeon. Surgeon loves this stuff. Um, oh yeah. They opened it in 1923. They're in some ways the oldest whiskey distillery. I actually got more detail on this recently. Um, so as I've talked about on the show before, Akashi is actually the oldest whiskey distillery in japan they got their license in 1919 um but apparently from what i've heard they actually didn't produce any whiskey until the mid-20s until like 24 25 um around the time yamazaki started taking off because uh they for whatever reason they didn't start producing whiskey once they got the license i think it had i've heard it had something to do with like the uh uh they were Whiskey started like falling out of vogue or something like that a little bit because um, this was around the time when bourbon was popular in Japan. So I'm not I'm not sure exactly of the details, but Yamazaki claims to be the oldest distillery um, because they were the first ones that actually put whiskey out on the market. Um, and they offer a 12 and 18 and a 25 year. Um, the All of them are prohibitively expensive. In my opinion, I mean, for a twelve-year, eighty bucks is kind of a lot. Yeah, it's it's a little bit tough, and in New York, I think it's a li- even a little bit more expensive. I've seen it at about one hundred and fifteen. Yeah, it probably so is, and that's, also that's a because lot. It, 
it doesn't it doesn't sit on the shelves in most places. This is a a very popular whiskey in uh I'm trying to see what year it was. In okay, so in the uh San Francisco World Spirit competitions, which is kind of they're one of the gold standards kind of like you'll see badges, like people will put medallions on their whiskey that says they won the San Francisco World Spirits competition. Um Yamazaki 18 cleaned up for six years straight from 2008 to 2013 they got double gold medals uh, which is a big deal and it means that that's about when their prices started skyrocketing because the demand went up and when demand goes up for whiskey the price goes up all you have to make the price of whiskey is time plus demand um and the bigger like time is additive where demand is multiple multiplicative where if the if the demand is high you're going to see those prices double triple stuff like that um those prices go up and up and up um so th- that's why this went from like a 30 40 dollar whiskey to an 80 dollar whiskey the 18 is one of the most expensive 18 year whiskeys i know of at i, I believe the msrp and the it's price something insane here, it's about 250 bucks yeah which is crazy um and if memory serves, the twenty-five is about five hundred bucks, or maybe four fifty MSRP. But still, I mean, that's it's astronomically expensive. But it's a very good whiskey. And if you're unfamiliar with Japanese whiskey, Japanese whiskey is kind of like the surgeon tells the whole story way better than I do. Um, so go back and watch one of the episodes where he told the story of uh, of Japanese whiskey. Uh, we did a. a he and Rob, I think, did a Japanese whiskey-specific show. He told the whole story in that one. So if you're looking for the story, find that on YouTube. Find it in the podcast. Um, but Japanese whiskey is very similar to scotch because they've modeled their whiskey after scotch. Um, and I, I don't even remember names off the top of my head. But um, there was a... I'm trying to remember who what his name is because there's a whiskey named after him, and I can't remember his name. Um, it might be Tetsuru. Um, but whoever whoever it was, I can't remember his name. I'll if I'll get it for next time. Next time I talk about Japanese whiskey, I promise I'll have the names right, guys. Uh, but he he went to uh, went to Scotland and learned to make Scott, um, and was kind of fascinated by the process and fell in love. I believe he even married a Scottish woman, um, and then came back to Japan and was like, "Everybody, look at this whiskey," and kind of taught Japan the ways of creating Scotch. And they ended up kind of creating their own scotch industry almost, um, where they they import a lot of ingredients. They have very rigid processes, and that's kind of what the Japanese as a culture excels at is perfecting processes like that. Um, so they make very consistent, very good uh, Scottish-style whiskey. So you can't call it scotch, uh, even though there's there is a distillery that has been awarded the status of being allowed to call their spirit scotch in japan um but they don't out of out of respect i believe um but i'm gonna take a couple sips dennis you have a couple minutes to talk about your first parent yeah. before we get into our first commercial <clears throat> break i went a little long there sorry about that no no worries japanese whiskey is such a such an interesting thing they they bring this intensity like they do with so many other things to the whiskey industry and like you said they really kind of made it their own and they started this massive boom and if you're a whiskey fan you'll remember that as a you know, the timeline of that happening that was a, a very noticeable point for whiskey all around oh, the yeah. world people immediately noticed it uh 
my first pairing is is actually pretty cool. I've never had this beer before. Uh, usually I get a couple and I try a few before the show. Uh, I only got one can of this just to try it out. And it's a pale ale. It's Amer- an American pale ale, 5%, called Toast. And so Toast is actually not the name of the beer, but it's the name of the uh, the brewery that makes it, or the group, I should say. Probably better to say group. Um, oh, my focus lost. There it is. That's okay. okay. It was, yeah. it was, I think it was catching up on trying to focus on it, the beer. It was. Yeah, it's a new camera. Finally, it's working properly. Um, so these guys are really cool. They donate all of their profits to charity, and specifically one particular charity called uh, Feedback, which is a charity that works together, and I think it's a worldwide charity as well, and they work together with different organizations to uh, reduce food waste, which is awesome, and that is actually the key point of this beer. This beer is brewed with... Uh, they say there's about a full slice of bread in each beer. And what they do is they go around and they collect bread that isn't even good enough to be, you know, given out for free to um, to shelters or any other charity organizations. Bread that's destined to go directly to the landfill. They take this bread, they throw it into their malt bill, and they brew all of their beers with this surplus bread, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's that, a little it's, bit, it's, you know, it's, it's different. a little hippie-ish. Um, but I'm okay with it. Like that's, that's the vibe in Portland where I am. Um, there's a lot of that kind of thing going on. Everybody's, you know, reuse, recycle, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think it's cool that they made that they found a way to, um, turn that into turn recycling into beer. It's really, it's very exciting. And the beer itself, honestly, as a pale ale, it's, uh, it's not one of those crazy, super intense, magical beers, but it is really a solid beer. If I saw a six-pack in the store, I would easily buy this at 5%. It's very drinkable, and it has a really nice profile. It's got some citra hops in it, which you know is always awesome. And uh, Cascade is the other main hop that they use for this beer. Um, and these guys actually started in London, but they've since expanded to New York, to uh, Cape – Cape uh, – uh, not Cape May. Cape Cape something. Cape, uh, um, Cape Canaveral. Cape, I don't know. Cape Cod. I think I think it is Cape Cod actually, and uh, Reykjavik, which is very cool. Like they're bringing this hippie scene almost to Reykjavik, but it's also about saving a little bit and reducing food waste. And I think that's a kind of a cool message for a, a brewery to to focus on. Yeah, I think so too. We're gonna take a quick break here. Um, a commenter has the has the correct name for the uh, the Japanese whiskey guy. I'll be oh, right back with that after our break. Uh, Brought to you by Gurkha Cigars. Gurkha Cigars, makers of the world's finest cigars. Try the 93-rated Heritage, featuring Rosado, Ecuador, and Habana wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, and Dominican, Pennsylvanian, and Nicaraguan fillers. Blended by Gurkha's blending team at American Caribbean Cigars, it's hand-rolled Nicaraguan, available in 35-count boxes. Talk to your local B&M about the Heritage today, or talk to them about other fine Gurkha cigars. Whatever your taste preference is, Gurkha has a cigar that's right for you. All right, we're back. Uh, smoking the Crux Guild. If you're just tuning in, um, if it'll ever focus there, come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. Such a good cigar. I'm loving it so far. I really enjoy it. Um, it's hard to get a good shot of this band because it's got like some matte and some shiny going on, um, and it's also very dark, so it doesn't catch too much light. Um, so Jerry Stash, thank you, Jerry Stash, with the save. Um, Masataka Taketsuru. Uh, was the the Japanese chemist who went to Scotland for um, a few years, married a Scottish woman named Rita. I know that now. Um, 
and uh, brought kind of brought the Scotch culture back to Japan with him. Um, and really, like he changed the trajectory of history in terms of whiskey in Japan. Um, like Japanese whiskey wouldn't really exist in the way it does today without him. Um, yes, thanks again, Jerry. And we got a couple other comments before we get into our, uh, our, our pairings here and talk about them. Uh, Anthony Rosicki says Kavas is, a, is made with stale bread, and he's sure yes, that he knows about it with his Ukrainian oh, abso- background. Absolutely. Um, That's, I grew up drinking that stuff. I, <laughs> I've made it with alcohol. Um, I fermented the crap out of this stuff, and it came out awesome. Kvass is great. He says and if you haven't had it, kvass. go out and get some. What's I've that? never had it work. He says we need hoppy kvass. Oh, hoppy kvass would be amazing. Uh, you can probably get in your local, um, I guess, in New York, they're called International Foods, but it's like a Russian food store. We do have, um, there actually are several Russian bakeries and Russian food stores around oh, here. Oh, perfect. Yeah, they'll, they'll so, have it for sure. So I'll, I'll have to check it out. Just make sure you get the kvass that's for drinking and not for making soup, because there's one that they use to make soup, and it's not drinkable at all. Yeah. Okay. It's rough. Um, and Ed Ryan from PDX Cigars has a couple comments. He wants to know if we've ever done a show with McCarthy's Single Malt. Um, we haven't, actually. We've never had it, had that on the show. I need to pick up a bottle so I can, I can talk about it a little bit. So people who aren't familiar, McCarthy's is the Oregon Single Malt. Um, I've had it a couple times at restaurants. I've never been super impressed, but I would, I would, I'm interested to see how it pairs with a cigar. Um, and he also says that we're so desperate to recycle here, we even use the brewer's beard, uh, which is a joke that goes back to Rogue, um, which we've, we've talked about Rogue and why, how they're great and how they don't have the best reputation locally. Um, but they did have a beer that they used yeast that was cultivated from their head brewer's beard. Yep, um, I remember that one. It was... I mean, it was a good beer, but it was weird thinking like I'm drinking something that a, a very small portion of this has touched the guy's face. Well, you you also have the dogfish beer, right? That was made with uh, by chewing corn mm-hmm. and spitting into a bucket. So that's yeah. there's that. I, that was also a really good beer. I liked it. I was sad there was a limited release. I, I wish there was more of it. They didn't have enough corn chewers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so talking about the Yamazaki, dude, the nose on this, like, this is one of those Japanese whiskeys, which there's a lot of Japanese whiskeys that if you give it to somebody and like you could give it to a scotch expert, Somalia even, um, and they they may or may not be able to pick up the fact that it's even Japanese. Um, most people would guess that this was scotch. It's got the thing like, I've noticed, it's really bright. It's a very yeah. brightly flavored whiskey compared to you know what you're normally what we're normally used to in the States. Yeah, it's it's very bright and fruity to me. Um, like on the nose, there's a lot. I get tons of sour apple from this and a little bit of pear. Um, I got to remind myself what it tastes like. Take a sip. It's it's actually different than I remember. I'm not sure if it's my palate or uh, the cigar. It's not as sweet as I remember. I remember it being like having a fruity sweetness. It's got a little sweetness, um, like a, a tiny bit of honey sweetness uh but it's got a lot of like earthy leather kind of notes which i think go really well with the cigar how's the uh how's the toast treating you you know i was just thinking about it and i don't know if it's the name of the beer or or what it is but those leather notes in the cigar mixed with this beer in a way that makes me think of melba toast for some reason 
as, as oh, weird as that sounds. I, I could actually really see that. I I was trying to identify a flavor, and that's what it was. It's kind of like that. Um, I don't even know how to describe Melba Toast to people who've never had it. it yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like tough. bread with kind of like an ash flavor. It reminds me of like it's <laughs> it's a little bit bitter and a little earthy and gritty kind of. Yeah, it's like the outside of the bread when you when you toast it. It's that that outside rind sort of of the loaf. Yeah, but the whole thing tastes that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'm getting some notes of that, and and a lot of that um, the citrus floral notes have sort of faded a little bit for me. Yeah, um, we got a couple more audience comments. Ed Ryan says that I need to go to the uh, distillery that makes McCarthy's and drop his name. Um, so I'll, I'll I may do that. Chico Ray wants to know what we think of Centauri Whiskey Toki. Have you ever had it, Dennis? I, you know what? I may have, but not, not recently, so I can't remember really. Um, it's a fairly recent release from Centauri. Uh, I think it came out within the last two years, maybe. maybe. Maybe even a little less than that. It's a fairly new offering from them. In my opinion, it's the least scotch-like whiskey they've ever made. Uh, it's kind of a budget whiskey. I think the price range is around 30 bucks which i mean that doesn't sound like a budget whiskey to me that's that's like the upper end of budget the lower end of of like where you're just getting into premium is 30 bucks um but for me i've had toki a couple times i think it's too light to me it tastes like um what you would call a light whiskey which don't they barely exist anymore but it's kind of a whiskey that hasn't been aged as long um doesn't have as much body They've just got a little bit of that like whiskey character. Um, like think of if you've never had light whiskey, it's similar to if you mixed a whiskey 50-50 with vodka or moonshine, I guess would be more more appropriate. Um, but it's kind of a whiskey that's been cut down a little too much. At least that's what it tastes like. Um, so for me, I, I don't I wouldn't recommend Toki. I don't love Toki. For me, it was just it was too mild of a whiskey. Uh, and it reminded me of like a watered down scotch or something like that. Uh, let's see. Oh, and Bob Langmaid said he was he would love to try Yamazaki. I mean, Yamazaki is hard to find. That's the that's the main problem with it. Um, and it's way more expensive than it should be. Like if it was forty bucks, it would be a fantastic yeah. whiskey for seventy Definitely. or eighty bucks. I I wouldn't recommend people buy it unless they're really into Japanese whiskey. But if you're out at a bar. Usually you can get a dram of this for about twelve to fourteen dollars, um, wow, which I that's think, pretty cheap. I mean, you're in New York City; everything's New York. That's that's like you know that's easily a twenty-two dollar dram if yeah. you're lucky. Yeah, in, in New York, Jack Daniels is is twenty-five dollars. I think more actually. It's insanely expensive. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, no, I meant for a glass. Yeah, for a glass. I mean, glasses are generally they have not the regular jack they'll have gentleman jack and it'll be like 25 yeah. something bucks for oh. for a little bit yeah that's crazy. crazy you might uh, as well just buy a bottle but yeah so so bob next time you're out at a bar ask if they have yamazaki i've noticed it i've seen it at places like applebee's and places like that like places you wouldn't think would have a decent selection the yamazaki 12 is something that a lot of bars that i've seen um even in big retail or big uh you know, big chains like that have. So I, I would recommend picking it up because it's a, it's not the best whiskey you're ever going to have, but it's solid and it's unique. Uh, there's nothing else that's quite like it. It's a great whiskey. It's definitely worth trying for sure. Um, and and now Ed Ryan says that we should take a field trip together to the McCarthy Distillery. Done. <laughs> Message me. We'll make a day of it. It'll be fun. 
Um, I think it's, I'm, uh, I'm, I feel paranoid about my cigar. I don't know why. I'm, a, I'm afraid it's going to go out. So I keep like stopping in the middle of sentences to take a, take a draw on it. Oh, man. But I'm, I'm, I'm liking it so much. I'm, I'm powering through this thing. I'm going to introduce my next pairing. Then we're going to take a break and then you can introduce your next pairing. And then we'll get back to tasting. Um, so my next pairing is a beer that has made its appearance on several shows before. It's uh, Robbie, Robbie Rass, rest in peace over at Mombacho show. He's dead to us over here at Cigar Federation <laughs> uh, and sharing our pairings. Um, but this was this is his favorite beer and uh, or at least his favorite stout. And it's become one of mine. And sadly, uh, Modern Times, who brews it, announced recently that it will no longer be a regular production release. So up until about a month ago, it was a regular production release uh, that anywhere they distribute beer, you could find just about everywhere. Um, But it's now going to become, I guess, a limited edition. Um, They didn't officially say it's gone, but they released their beer calendar and it's nowhere to be found. So Hmm. I think it's safe to say that it's not coming back, at least not in 2018. Um, but this is City of the Dead from Modern Times. Modern Times is based in San Diego. Um, this is, uh, I'll just, I'll kind of read the back because I know it all off the top of my head, but I want to see what they have to say. Uh, it's a groundbreaking export stout, uh, which generally an export stout, for those who don't know, is kind of in between a stout and an imperial stout. Um, brewed with house roasted bourbon barrel aged coffee. Yep, bourbon barrel aged coffee. This mind-bending process imbues coffee with the incredible flavor and aroma of freshly emptied bourbon barrel, which carries over into this rich, chewy stout. There's no other beer in the world like it, so consider it liquid education for your face. Um, so <laughs> as like it that. said, they, they kind of took the barrel-aged coffee stout thing and flipped it. So normally you, put, you add the coffee as an adjunct to the stout, and then while the, when the stout is done, you add it to coffee barrels, set it in there for a while, and then uh, then move it to you know kegs to carbonate and bottle and all that stuff. Um, but instead of doing that, they barrel age the coffee beans and then grind the coffee beans and use them as the adjunct. So you're getting a different type of barrel age flavor. You're getting more of the woody, uh, oaky, like roasted kind of notes. And you get less of that like vanilla sweetness that you usually get from a, a barrel age on a stout. Um, and Bob Bob Langmaid says he thought Ten Fifty was Rob's favorite. Um, it's it's up there, absolutely. Yeah, this this might have been Rob's favorite coffee stout. I know it, I know it was a favorite something. Maybe it was his favorite coffee stout. Um, but since he's dead, he won't know that we're saying the wrong <laughs> thing. Anyway. I'm just kidding. Rob's a good friend of the show still, um, and we're actually working on getting another show with him. In the, in the nearish future. Um, so we'll be back in a few minutes. I'm going to take a couple sips of my City of the Dead. When we get back, Dennis is going to introduce his next pairing. We'll be right back. This show is sponsored by Cigar Oasis. Don't spend all your time worrying about your cigar wrappers cracking, splitting, or falling apart from humidity fluctuation issues. Set it and forget it by choosing Cigar Oasis, a professional solution which provides equal distribution of humidity with precise electronic controls. Monitor your cigars through the internet using the smart humidor Wi-Fi attachment. Why don't you spend all your time enjoying your cigars and relaxing and let Cigar Oasis protect your cigars. Cigar Oasis has solutions for any humidor. Make sure you set it and forget it today. Masses. All right, we're back. Um, Dennis and I were talking about during the break, so Modern Times recently got into a little hot water 
when they opened a new <laughs> new brewery in my hometown, Portland, Oregon. Um, so they've got a new brewery downtown. They took over uh, a brewery called the Commons, and they got a. I mean, it's it's not really it's not a scandal or anything like that, but they uh, they're charging between six to eight dollars for a pint, um, which is more than the average price you pay at a at a brewery around here. Uh, and people are a little upset about it that they're uh, they're bringing the California prices to to humble Portland, Oregon. Uh, <laughs> but I'm I mean I might make a trip down there and pay those pay those slightly inflated prices because their beer is amazing. Uh, Dennis, what is your next pairing? I'm excited about my next pairing. It is a beer that you know pretty well from out of Bend, Oregon, called Crux. Much like our cigar tonight, and I thought it'd be a Pretty appropriate pairing. This beer is called Gimme Mo, and it is a IPA, but it, they call it a not just another IPA. So their whole thing with this beer is it's um, it's a little bit sweeter, a little bit lower alcohol. And it it's funny that they say that because it comes in at 6.2%, which for me at this point is sessionable. And I feel like IPAs I mean, that, in general, yeah, that's, that's the norm, that's right? That's the West Coast mentality. So yeah. uh, so here... a like if you order a standard IPA or buy a can of IPA or six pack of IPAs or whatever at the grocery store, chances are it's going to be a, around seven and a half percent. Seven, seven and a half is kind of the standard around here. Which is it's crazy how that that's happened, right? Before IPAs were about three and a half, four percent at most, and then as the boom hit, we started seeing IPAs reaching into the seven, eight, nine. Now we have thirteen percent IPAs being not standard but more common. I'd say. Yeah. I mean, um, most, most tap rooms around here, uh, are gonna have some, some sort of double IPA that's, that's 10 and a half or so percent, um, on tap. Uh, it's just kind of, it's standard now. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Um, and this beer is really juicy. I'm actually salivating a little bit too much right now, but, uh, for this beer, they used a predominantly Pilsner malt bill. Which is interesting because it's actually a lot maltier than you would think. So when you hear Pilsner, you think, all right, it's going to be kind of, it'll have body, but it won't be too sweet. And this beer is pretty sweet, all things considered, for an IPA, which is not a bad thing necessarily. Um, And for this, they used whole leaf citra and whole leaf mosaic. Yep. And it's super juicy. Awesome beer. All right. I'm I'm just removing our our Facebook widget here since it's a rip Facebook widget. It's... It worked before the show, but once we went live, it stopped working. So I don't know what the issue is, but um, can't troubleshoot it live. And Bob Langmaid has a couple of comments. He had uh, he had the uh, This Modern Times Stout, City of the Dead. He had it at a local casino for a Modern Times dinner pairing, and it was stunning. Very I agree. nice. This, I'll talk about it in a minute, but this IPA is am- – or sorry, this stout is amazing. Um, and he wants to know if I've had 10 – 10 barrel 10 apocalypse which it's 10 barrel apocalypse um so 10 barrel used to be one of my favorite breweries and right after i discovered them they got acquired by ab and bev oh um, man and they lost all of their rep locally like most stores stopped carrying them and stuff which they've come back now and i think they they are making good beer again now um but my favorite beer that they ever made i do like the apocalypse it's their double ipa um it's kind of like, you know, it's their version of an intense IPA, uh, I think. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it might be their dark IPA. I'll have to look that up. 
Um, but my favorite beer that they made was their ISA, uh, an India Session Ale. And it Ooh, was kind of before okay. the Session IPA kind of like movement hit. Uh, it, this was like in 2008 or so, which was way before everybody else was doing sessionable, like low alcohol IPAs. It was a four and a half percent IPA that was like it had the amount of hops that an intense West Coast IPA has. But it was like I could drink one on my lunch break and wouldn't wouldn't feel weird going back to work. It was nice. All right. I'm checking on Ten Barrel Apocalypse now. And another weird thing about Ten Barrel that they did. Um, so Rogue has a bunch of uh, like bars all around town. Um, yes. Apocalypse is their double IPA. I was thinking of the right one the first time. My gut in- instinct was right again. Um, so Rogue has a bunch of like tap houses around. They have one downtown in particular that's kind of a uh, it's a tap house and their distillery where they make their whiskey and stuff like that. And very weirdly to me, Ten Barrel opened their tap house across the street. It just huh. seems like a really weird move to me. Um, I don't know whether it has turned out to be a good decision or a bad decision for them. Um, I don't know if they were like going after a rogue or something like that, but it just seems weird that they opened it like across the street. Like they're both on the same corner <laughs> on opposite sides of the street. It's really weird. They're like 30 feet away from each other. That's uh, that's like a Starbucks Dunkin' Donuts type thing going on. Yeah, it's it just seems really weird to me. Um, like I'm not offended by it or anything. I don't care, but it's it's just weird to me that they open across the street. And I'm taking another sip of my City of the Dead here. Um, it's got a little bit of sweetness. It's it's roasty. It's I mean I don't know why I'm even holding it up for our our uh, our live and video audience, but it looks like a stout. It's not super viscous, but it's it's got a little bit of that like oily oily viscosity. It's um, nice small bubbles in there too. Yeah, it's it's got a, a decently small bubble size, which is something that feels weird to say, but it's something that people don't talk about enough because I feel like it's very important the bubble size because um, it informs the mouthfeel. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like if you have large bubbles, it tastes too much like soda. If you have two small bubbles it tastes like you're drinking foam uh but it like dude that barrel aged coffee flavor is so good it's i'm jealous man i wish i could get that i wish that i had another bottle to to bring you um but i don't and i can't find it anymore because they don't make it but i'm i might bring a can so they they recently did i I wasn't necessarily going to talk about it but they they recently did a uh canned version of this in 16 ounce cans which is nitro with almonds and sea salt oh man and that sounds amazing the first time i drank it i was like whoa they put way too much almonds in here it's like it was almond heavy and too salty and i just felt like it was too much (laughs) um and then i smoked it with a cigar or i drank it with a cigar and it completely changed my opinion on it i was blown away like it's completely different with a cigar and I think it works so much better. Um, which made me wonder if maybe they like had a, you know, maybe, maybe they're pairing it with cigars and that's, that's why it turned out that way. I don't that's know. That's their secret. Yeah. could be. Um, but yeah, it, it was really disappointing just all by itself, but with, with cigar, man, it was fantastic. So maybe, maybe I'll see if I can pack a, a can of that in my, in my check luggage next week. Um, How's your, what's your next pairing? My next pairing is very special All right. um, to me. 
and I'm actually I left it closed. I have, you know, just about half of my first bottle. I got two bottles, and you got two bottles. And um, I'm gonna open it right now and pour it, and show you guys what it looks like. Oh yeah. Oh man, I'm excited to see it. I haven't seen it because I haven't had any. Oh, um, you haven't tried it? Okay. No, not yet. I'm I'm I've been very very tempted. Uh, I think I'm probably gonna polish off a bottle before we head to DR next week. Oh man, this uh, this beer like it it blew my top off in so many different ways. There's so much going on. I mean, you were texting. So, I mean, we'll introduce it in a second. We're keeping the suspense up, which I kind of like, uh, <laughs> but the entire time Dennis was drinking his first bottle of this, he was messaging me the whole time, like walking me through his experience. You know what? It really was an experience completely because it's not what you expect in so many different ways. And, and I have to tell you guys what this is, this awesome stuff. Uh, so this comes from Kaufner. Kaufner is down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, you guys met them, or, or met Roth, uh, yes. Roth Kaufner, who obviously the brewer is named after him. He owns it and runs it and makes the beer. Um, you met him a couple weeks ago during the sharing our pairings we did with Hector Alfonso from Lazona Cigars. Or sorry, yep. from Espinosa Cigars. Es- Espinosa, yep. Um, and he, Roth was actually awesome enough to send us some bottles of this and... Um, Man, holy crap. So this is called the Tobacco Milk Stout. It comes in at 80%. And here's the thing about this beer. It is barrel-aged for 180 days with tobacco leaves from Nicaragua. Wait, it's barrel-aged? It is. It's rum barrel-aged. I didn't realize that. I I had no idea. It's a double chocolate milk stout, rum barrel-aged. And into that barrel, they added the tobacco which was basically as is. So all the wild yeast, yeah, all the stuff that, that was on the tobacco the goes right in there. Told us is normally when they add adjuncts like that, um, if they're wild growing adjuncts, they sanitize them so that they, they get the flavor, but you don't get any of that bacteria. Um, but he decided that uh, tobacco yeah. bacteria might be a good thing. So he decided to just try it. Which um, was incredible because it took this beer to another level. It brought this wild sourness. But if you've had a sour beer before, it's not like any sour beer that I've ever had and, and probably you guys have never had. Um, it has this umami essence to it. That, that's the best way that I can put it. It's you know really nice and dark. Hopefully the camera can uh, focus on it. But I've it's, noticed it's the nice trick is hide your face. You have to hide your face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like it helps if you hold it and like put your hand behind it so that it can't focus on your yeah, face. Let me, try, let me try that. But see, even then, it doesn't always work. Yeah. Yeah. See, I mean, you can see my laptop, but that's about it. Stuff, but <laughs> but uh, the umami flavor of this, first thing I thought of immediately when I had this first sip was um, the Japanese pickled plum. Mm-hmm. Really intense, sour, kind of salty, but not not too much. Not definitely not a stout flavor. Definitely not a um, not a milk stout by any means, or a chocolate double chocolate stout. And the tobacco takes over immediately after that like a couple of seconds after the first sip tobacco takes over and it brought me back to esteli when we were building we were helping to build houses out in oscar gomez and that essence of nicaragua is in this beer it's insane every barn that we've ever been to every fermentation room that we've ever been to every piece of tobacco that we've smelled throughout the whole process start to finish it brings me back to that and the aftertaste on this is pretty much uh, for those of you that have chewed tobacco before, like a Levi Garrett or a Red Man or something of those those lines, um, it leaves a really noticeable tobacco flavor on on the palate, 
which is not a bad thing. It's a little bit dry. It's really fresh in in that sense. Um, and let me tell you, this thing has nicotine. So this this beer, eight percent alcohol. It's got a warning. Label. Has nicotine. There's a warning on it. Absolutely. It's uh, it's right there. I don't know if it's focusing. Probably not. It won't focus. But I think it no. says like, drink yeah. this carefully. It contains nicotine or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Drink with caution. Pretty much. Um, the rum barrel really, I feel like the rum barrel made a difference for this beer. It helped mellow out some of the sharpness that, that otherwise we would have gotten from the tobacco. Um, it has nicotine and nicotine is alcohol soluble. So be careful. This stuff is really strong. When I drank it, I drank less than this, less than this amount. And for the next about three and a half, four hours, I was just wired, not sick or anything like that, but just totally wired. Like I was ready to run a marathon, whatever you wanted to throw at me, I could do very strange, very interesting, and very exciting that they're doing this because you don't see this kind of this kind of stuff happening really. I mean, now the, the beer scene is changing a little bit. People are experimenting, people are innovating, and I think this is taking it to the next level. But I've still I've never seen a tobacco aged beer other no. than this. Um, and I mean, it, it's I think it's kind of the kind of thing that only a cigar geek could understand. Um, because to most people, aging it with tobacco sounds disgusting. Uh, yeah. They expect it to taste like cigarettes. But as cigar connoisseurs, we know that a tobacco leaf, it's really just, it's housing those oils that have so many different flavors that like are an indescribable number of flavors are in kind of every tobacco leaf. And depending on how they're blended and stuff like that is how we taste them in a cigar. Um, but it's it's just really interesting to turn that into beer just to see if you can. Um, and apparently it was successful enough that he kept making it. So and Bob Lang only made 600 bottles. I think they were made. Wow. So Bob Dog says they sponsored Lazona Palooza. That's right. Well, um, they did. Yep. And yeah, I think they had that, this beer there, right? That's, that's kind of where the relationship started. Um, and I, I don't know if we talked about it last week that Roth actually was watching the interview we did with Hector. And when we talked about doing the pairing show, Roth messaged Hector and said, please do it at my brewery. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the rest is history. It was awesome. Um, and he's Bob also says, is that the one with the Laranja tobacco? I don't believe so. Uh, I think it's Nicaraguan tobacco and Laranja uses an Ecuadorian wrapper. Yeah. I think I think I'm it's not sure which tobacco, tobacco specifically. Uh, yeah. Honestly, flavor wise, I'm getting some like. Jalapa action going on right now. That's what I think. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's really coming through. Nice. I I, I should have had that one for this episode. I I made a mistake, and you know I have to live with that. But maybe I'll have it sometime in the next couple of days. Uh, we're gonna. I was gonna say we're gonna take a quick commercial break, and I almost hit a button. Um, we're not gonna take a quick commercial break. We're not going anywhere. Um, we this segment is brought to you by Drew Estate. They painted this gorgeous hat for me with a, a nice lake in Nicaragua, some trees, the Norteño, the Norteño bird. It's great. Go on, go on Cigar Safari, smoke some Drew Estate cigars, uh, download the Drew Diplomat app. You can win some sweet stuff like, uh, I mean, kind of similar to this hat. They, they paint a bunch of stuff at Subculture Studios. They put it up on there. They got, I've seen hard hats. I've seen sneakers. Dennis has got his headphones painted there. Yep. Um, they do amazing work, and you can by by just downloading the Drew Diplomat app, checking in your cigars, you can win a piece of that art 
to take home with you. Um, it's, which is very cool. I've, yeah. I've actually won a little stinky ashtray, which is beautiful. Oh, nice. Lucky you. I've never won anything on that app. I'm unlucky, well, I, man. I, I had a, a winning edge. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to talk about that part. No. Um, Bob, Bob Dog says he thought maybe Hector mentioned Laranya in beer. They did also make a Laranya wheat beer, I believe it oh, was. Oh, that's right. They did. Uh, yep. Which is, it, it wasn't tobacco infused, but it was kind of like an orangey wheat beer. Um, so you got kind of the feel of the Laranya. And it was kind of made to pair with Laron. Um, so I want to talk about my next pairing here. So this is a beer that I, I'm i not so sure how this is going to pair. It, it may not be great. Uh, Dogfish Head 120-minute IPA. So as Dennis and I were talking about in the green room, I've had the 90, I've had the 60. I'm not a big fan of either. They're both overly sweet, um, just like too malty. They're what I think of when I think of an East Coast IPA, not a Northeast IPA, because Northeast IPAs are very different. But an East Coast IPA, um, typically in my experience, is very malty, kind of overly sweet and not hoppy enough. So I'm interested to see how this one does. Uh, if you're not familiar with Dogfish Head, where where do you live? Because <laughs> they're like they're the golden boys of craft brewing. Um, they were founded in 1995 in Milton, Delaware. Uh, they produce about 262 barrels of beer per year, which is a lot of beer. Oh, I forget how much is in a barrel, actually. 3.1 gallons, I believe. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do the math, but um, that's a lot of beer. Um, they're they're very widely available. They make a lot of weird beers. Um, an interesting thing, the, the most interesting thing I think about them is they even their normal selection they don't have any beers that a guy's going to go from Budweiser to like uh, most craft breweries have like a Pilsner or a light yeah. IPA or something like that to draw in the crowd a little bit. Um, Dogfish head does not bother with that. They only want to make weird stuff that they want to make. And if you don't like it, they don't care. Yeah. They're just going to make stuff the way they want and the way that they always have. Um, they, if, if you're, if you didn't know, they ha- they had a TV show at some at one point. Um, I used to watch it. It was a documentary kind of TV show where they kind of documented them making some of their really like extravagantly weird beers. There was one that I recall where they went to Egypt and they harvested they they found somebody who is still making beer in the same style as they did in ancient Egypt, and then they harvested yeast from Egypt, wild yeast. And use that to kind of replicate the recipe, and they do stuff like that. They just make oh, that really was, out um, there. Weird. Henkit, right? Yeah. Um, this one is in their IPA series, so they make a sixty-minute, a ninety-minute, and a one-twenty-minute. So what that refers to is the length of the boil. So when you boil the beer, most beers are boiled for about sixty minutes, and they're hopped. Uh, for an IPA, it's usually mostly near the end because the earlier you hop it, the more bitterness you're going to get, but the less character it's going to give the beer. Um, that's where you get like that really resinous, sweet kind of IPA. And then hopping near the end of the boil is where you get more of like those floral notes um, and a little bit of like citrus kind of kind of flavors. So this one, they boil for 120 minutes, two hours, and then they hop it the entire time. 
so they say. I don't I don't know how much hop is actually in this. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take a couple sips and see what I think of this while you talk about your next pairing. So I'm gonna go back to my uh, to my Kofner here, and I've been Whoa, sipping on it. Whoa! Yeah, right, right. I told you it's it's insanely sweet. It's like candy sweet almost. It's got that really intense Belgian sugar kind of sweetness. Yeah. With a really heavy malt body that normally you would expect with you know closer to a somewhere between a brown ale and a, and a porter. It, it's in that for me at least. It's in that range. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It it reminds me of like a really sweet brown ale, but it does have a lot of hops. It it does have a like like a lot of hop flavor. Hmm. I've had it many a time and I've had it in from the bottle. I've had it on draft. I've had it, you know, relatively fresh and I've had some older bottles as well. And for me, the, the sweetness kind of takes over and whatever yeah. the, the hop profile That's is, it kind of, it, it dominates the hop profile and almost uh, masks it a little bit for me. Um, so the way, the word that I would use to describe this, I guess it's actually two words, but what I would use to describe this is candied hops. It reminds me of hops. Yeah. Where, um, I mean, you if you ate a candied hop, you would be sick for a week. It would be gross. But <laughs> that's the flavor that comes to mind. It's, it's the flavor of hops, but completely coated in a sweet, sugary syrup. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good way to put it. All right, sorry. I'll, I'll let you go ahead with your next pairing now. It was, it was just so sweet I had to take over. <laughs> Man, I, I, you know, I went back through all, all my pairings. Um, and for now, I think the flavors are really being dominated by this Kofner as I'm, I'm reaching the, the end of my cigar, smoking through it, which is awesome. And I'm, I've been getting a lot of nutmeg and fig flavors from the cigar, and the Kofner is playing off of that in a really nice way. And it's weird because it's a sour. Technically, it's a sour. It's a dark sour. Um, generally, sours are tough to pair with cigars. And generally, for a lot of people, sours are a hard beer to drink or a hard style to drink because – you either love it or you hate it. You don't often get a sour that's kind of in the middle that's approachable for most people. Yeah. And, and the plum thing is is really funky. Like it's as it's warming up, the plum flavors are really coming out. And it's that pickled plum. It's almost too intense, but then the flavor fades pretty quick. So you're kind of like, all right, it's not bad. You you can you want a, another taste of it. All right. So I just got a weird note off the cigar. What it reminds me of. After drinking the Dogfish Head 120, which, as we said, like, it's weird because it, like, it leaves this, it leaves the hop flavor on your palate, and it kind of lives there, maybe forever. Like, I still taste it. It's been 80 seconds or so since I took a sip, and I don't taste the sweetness anymore, but I still taste the hops. But it brings out, like, a a rye spice and dryness in the cigar for me. Yeah, I can definitely see that, especially on the retro hill. Some of that rye spice coming out. Yeah, and there's there's not a lot of a lot of sweetness in this cigar. If you're looking for a sweet cigar, this is the wrong one. But if you're looking for something that's um, kind of on the dry side but still has like an intensity to it, this is the cigar you want. Um, it's it's interesting because it's got an intensity and it's got spice and it's got leather and it's got uh, earth. And a little bit of like mineral, and as I said before, I'm still getting a little bit of lemon peel, like lemon zest kind of bite. But there's there's not very much sweetness, at least not after drinking the dogfish. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try my my Yamazaki again, see how that fares. 
I'm getting a lot of brightness from my first pairing, the toast beer, which now is more of a pronounced pale ale flavor than it was in the beginning. It's almost a little bit too citrusy, but I wonder if some of that has to do with the lingering flavors from the from the sour. Mm-hmm. The sour and the coffner, you mean, right? Yes, the, sa- the sour and the coffner. Yep. Also, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. I can feel it <laughs> tingling right now. It's it's. I'm feeling the nicotine, and normally, you know, I, I can power through three or four really heavy cigars easily. Most of the time on a half empty stomach, no problem. Uh, nicotine doesn't bother me. I've got a good tolerance. And it's not that it's making me, you know, I don't feel sick. I don't feel weird. I feel kind of buzz, almost like a, like I've had a double shot of espresso. That's exactly what I can't what sit you still. I want to run around. Talking about. Yeah. Um, so I had a little water to clear my palate and the guild has a little bit more sweetness than I thought. Um, not by a lot. It's got a little bit of sweetness. And the Yamazaki kind of brings that out a little bit. I'm going to try the City of the Dead, see how that goes. Yeah, and the the City of the Dead has has some real, some definite sweetness um, being a, a stout that the coffee flavor brings out some coffee notes in the cigar, I think. No, it's just, it's just that creamy note that I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, so the... It's interesting. The Yamazaki brings out the sweet notes in the cigar. The City of the Dead brings out kind of the creamy notes in the cigar. And the Dogfish Head just brings out like those woody, spicy, uh, roasty notes in the cigar, um, which is interesting. I don't, th- I don't think I've ever had a pairing, had three pairings that were as different as these are with the, the cigar side of the experience. I think that Yamazaki wins. I mean, the the fruity notes on the Yamazaki and kind of that uh, that oily leather note wins over because it, it really brings out some of the sweeter notes, some of the um, more. Let me let me taste it again to remind myself. Yeah, it brings out a little sweetness. It brings out a little a little bit of creaminess, but not as much as the City of the Dead. I think the Yamazaki for me is the way to go with this cigar. What do you say, Dennis? You know what? I have to say the Kaufner is going to win on this one. <laughs> the funk is going so well with the cigar, especially in the final third. Maybe if I started with this as my first pairing, I wouldn't have liked it as much. Now that the cigar is warmed up, a lot of that spice is playing really well off of the uh, the sourness of the beer. And it's balancing it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, The beer by itself, if you had a glass, you'd probably get through half the glass and it'd be uh, very intense, maybe almost too much. Uh, the cigar helps cut that, and I, I wonder if maybe that was kind of their their goal to begin with, is for this beer to be paired with a cigar. Oh, I absolutely think that was their goal. All right, any other closing comments before we end the show here? Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to to Kofner and you know Hector for for getting us all connected and sharing this yeah. awesome beer with us. It's very cool, you know, part of this beer revolution. We're beer nuts, we're cigar nuts, and it's awesome to see something new hit the scene. Yeah, so it was I, great to see innovation. I regret not trying it already. I, I regret the fact that I have not already had it inside my belly. <laughs> it's it's unfortunate. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for watching. We really appreciate you guys watching, commenting, uh, giving us some thumbs up, uh, leaving some comments. You know, we really appreciate you guys out there. And we appreciate everybody listening on the Armed Forces Radio Network. You guys are out there doing things we're not built to do. And words can't express how appreciative we are of that. And thank you, of course, to all of our podcast listeners. Uh, 
if you if you have any comments, questions, anything like that, send me an email, trip with two Ps at cigarfederation.com. And remember, we will not have a show next week. We will be on assignment in the Dominican Republic at Pro Cigar. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I think the show, when we get back, we haven't planned it quite yet. Um, it's probably going to be a long show because we're going to talk about our pairings and then we're going to talk about our experiences. Um, and then we've got some, uh, some special guests lined up for sharing our pairings. So look forward to that. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for watching. We want you to drink better, but we want you to drink less.